Well, good morning again to you, Rock Hill. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to Matthew chapter 6, or if you have an, a phone or device, an app or whatever, not on Twitter, but just on your device in the Bible, Matthew chapter 6. In a series called Just Like Jesus, walking through the Sermon on the Mount, we've got this chapter and then the next chapter, and then it'll be Thanksgiving, all right? So... I was at a meeting this last week with uh, some pastors from the Southern Baptist Convention of Texas, and I am just so grateful for uh, Nathan Lork, our new executive director, and uh, his leadership and his investment in us as leaders. But as a room of pastors about in our, our 40s, and he looked at us, and he said, without a smile, he said, you, you in this room have about 25 years left in ministry. I felt attacked. I mean, he's looking at us saying, hey, you don't have much more time left. The reality is that you, 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 you think that you're younger than you are. You act like you, you're younger than you are. The reality is that you really don't have that much longer in ministry. Now, sometimes I wake up and I think I'm 20 and then I bend over and I realize I'm 40. There are days that I think that I'm younger than I am. I think I can do more than I can. And I wake up the next day feeling all of that assumption, all right? But the question began to make me think. I began to think about the, the money I have in life. And, and am I being a good steward of it? The, the time, the time that I have in life, this, this precious commodity that I can never gain back, am I being a good steward of it? The resources that my family has and that our church has, are we being good stewards of that? Are, are we doing all that we can to, to make much of Jesus in our lives? Am I? I begin to just kind of dream about those things and think about what, what is or what, what could be. It was a question that, that I ignored a portion of what he was describing at that moment. Don't tell him I said that. And I just began to think about, am I making the most of the time that I've been given? As we think about this moment in Matthew chapter 6, it's this it's this reality of, of who actually wrote this gospel. Now, I, I know that the Holy Spirit divinely inspired Matthew to write this. It's inerrant. It's inspired. There's no doubt it's authoritative. It's sufficient for us. But we also have to remember that Matthew wrote this gospel. Ma Matthew was a tax collector. And Matthew's life primarily orbited around possessions. He was a tax collector, meaning that and he went around to people of his own demographic and and taxed them on behalf of well to many people the enemy and he did that and it also helped stuff his pocketbook with resources and wealth and I can't imagine I mean I can't imagine that that as Matthew is hearing Jesus and as he's divinely writing these things down that that Matthew is cut to the quick he's he's cut to the core as he thinks about the reality of what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 6, verse 19 and following. Are we being good stewards? What does it mean to be a good steward? Think about the reality that each one of us have been given certain things when it comes to monetary things. And so much time and also so many resources. And the question isn't, do I have more than somebody else? The, the real question needs to be for us, am I stewarding well what God has entrusted to me? I think in this next season of life, as we might call it, the second half in my life, 
what am I doing with my life? Am I ruling and being ruled by God or am I trying to rule my own life? We're at Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 19. And I think some of the most important words Jesus can say to us. If you're there, will you say word? Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, verse 19 says, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth, neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, watch this now, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. When I was looking at this text, I saw three sermons. I don't have three weeks to preach them, so I'm just going to preach it all today. We see two treasures, we see two eyes, and we see two masters. Two treasures. There's two treasures that are presented to us. And in fact, Jesus says to this group that is listening to him, saying, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. This idea of don't, this, this statement don't, it's, it's almost one of those things where Jesus is saying, hey, you're doing that right now, so stop doing that. There's a sense of an immediate action. Hey, don't do this anymore. There's also a statement within that don't of, hey, as you're thinking about the future, don't do that either. As if you're giving a warning to your children when they're about to get on their bicycle with no helmet, you say, put your helmet on or don't ride your bicycle without a helmet. It's, an, it's a call to a future action. You could see it really either way that, hey, in an immediate, don't store up treasures on earth. That's one of the treasures. Or in the, the future, don't do this either. Either way, the reality for Matthew is that he is, he's listening to this and others are listening to this. And Jesus is saying, there is a treasure that is often pursued by man and we find ourselves in it on a regular basis. Jesus doesn't say you can't have possessions. Jesus doesn't say you cannot have a house or a car or clothes. And we're grateful you have clothes. However, Jesus, Jesus is exemplifying where people might put their identity, where their hearts might be devoted to. In that day, it was two major things. Number one, there was, there was cloth or clothing, what you wore. What you wore identified to other people your status of your wealth. What threads you had on indicated to others the amount of money that you had. And so what people would do is that they would be very careful with those linens, with, those, with that clothing. And they would store them away. But, but Jesus' point to them is, hey, at some point those moths are going to find a way. It's the same way if you happen to leave food in your car. There will be a day the ants will make it to your inside. 
In the same way, these linen cloths that people would store, they would put them away so that they would not be damaged or tarnished. But over time, it's just a matter of time, the decay of those things would take place and they would be and have destruction. Even if you were poor in that day, you would want to pass down something to your children. But there was another sense of wealth. Precious metals. Metals were seen as a sign of wealth. And so people would take these metals and they would actually bury them in their homes. They would dig a hole and maybe put a rug over it or a chair. And that would be where they would bury their treasure. But there was only a matter of days before someone would break in. This was, this was before alarm systems. And someone would break in and they would find that buried treasure and they would, they would take it and steal it. Never to be able to be used by you again. To be very honest, it's easy for us to want to store treasures here on this earth. I mean, we're inundated with advertisements calling for us to update whatever we have that's already pretty good. It's so tempting and alluring. I mean, even our phones listen to us. Uh-oh, our phones listen to us. And as we talk about maybe some vehicle that we like, and all of a sudden, <clears throat> you begin to see ads for that vehicle or that device. Even this morning, I, my typical routine on a Sunday morning is to turn on one of my friends who's on the East Coast and, and try to just worship a little bit in my office as they're singing and worshiping at their church. And as their church meets at 8 a.m., so it's 7 a.m. here, so it's very convenient for me. And so I'm watching. But even before their church service, an advertisement came on. It was for a $635 million lottery Powerball reward. And in that moment, in all candidness to you this morning, I, I thought, Lord, there's a lot of good I could do with $635 million. I mean, listen, I already struggle with low-grade gambling going to Chuck E. Cheese with my kids. But there was this moment where I said, Lord, I could plant a lot of churches with $635 million. There's a lot, of, a lot of good that could be done within our Southern Baptist Convention if I just had $635 million. I would, I would, of course, tithe to my local church, and then I'd have so much I could do good. It's almost as if you begin to barter with God and convince God, but at the end of the day, even that request is self-serving. Because underlining to all of that really isn't to help churches or to pay off a debt or to plant churches across America or the world. It's self-serving because I would use, well, the excess after I gave all of that for myself. I would upgrade my wardrobe that seems to be dated every time I stand up. I mean, I would, I would update my vehicle that is almost as, is actually as old as my oldest child. I mean, I would, I would do all those things, but it would be from after I've helped. Every, it was, at the end of the day, that request is self-seeking. It's so easy. It's so easy to be allured by the possessions and the treasures of this earth. It's so tempting because it's all around us. We're inundated with it from advertisements, but ultimately we're inundated it from our own hearts. It's, it's amazing even in Luke 12, do you, do you remember Luke? Luke? Luke is another gospel writer, and in Luke 12, there's a crowd 
There's a crowd that's come around Jesus, and Jesus has been teaching them. And I don't know about you, you've, you've got one question to ask Jesus. Just think, what, was the, what would be the one question you would ask Jesus? Now, we have the distinct advantage of, of, of knowing the whole story here in, in the Scriptures. They, they didn't have that advantage. So I want to be not judgmental towards this individual who asked this question. And thankfully, he's unnamed. But somebody from the crowd says that one question to Jesus was this. Jesus, will you tell my brother to divide our inheritance? Of all the questions he could have asked Jesus... Of all the things he could have said to Jesus, he says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. And Jesus says to him, hey, I'm not the judge and I'm the arbitrator. I'm not involved in those things. But then he says this in verse 15. He says, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Possessions aren't evil. Possessions aren't even wicked, but finding your life in your possessions is a unique type of evil. See, money's not evil, but the, as Paul tells us, the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. There are two treasures. There's the treasure of the earth, but he's going to tell us even in the verse 22, excuse me, 20, excuse me, verse 20, he says, But store up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. He says, your pursuit has been these treasures on this earth, this accumulation of things here and now. But I'm telling you, don't live for just the here and now. Live for the kingdom that is going to come. Remember, there's two competing kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world, and then there's the kingdom of God. And he says, hey, you should spend your life. You should give of your resources. You should give of your time. You should give of your money, not for the things of this earth, but for the things of heaven. Where moths cannot fly up to, and it cannot be destroyed. The problem in that day was that people thought that if they gave an offering, it would gain them some specific access to God that he would actually forgive them. There was a sense of a charitable gift beyond their already tithing to the synagogue. This Jewish idea that if I, if I just give above and beyond that, I'll gain a forgiveness of God that is unique that I won't gain if I don't do this very thing. If you think that your giving of your money or your sacrificing of your time or your giving up of your resources gains you some special access to God, you've jumped the shark. It's no different than the man who thinks that his material possessions give him such security he can carry them into the next life. Jesus is almost saying, I don't really care where you are or what you think, but treasure is not the material things you gain for yourself and to spend on a spiritual debit card you get in heaven He then hits home in verse 21. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want to know where your heart is, look at where you spend your money and where you devote your time and how you let go of or use your resources. He said, that's where your treasure is going to be. He's not saying that that what you do determines your heart. He's saying it Wherever you've treasured, that is revealing your heart and what it longs after. The heart, the heart is the root of good stewardship. 
The heart is at the root of generosity with your, with your money and your time and your resources. God is not interested in you using your resources so that you can gain eternal credit in heaven. He's, he's more interested in you having a heart that's after his kingdom and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I know this in my own life that when I've struggled to give, it's because I've been holding on to what I think is mine. And instead of having a, a clenching onto it, we've got to have a posture where we're palms up. Or as one pastor has famously said, it's, it's giving God a blank check with my life and with my bank account. Say, look, it's whatever you would have. So often I fail. I fail at treasuring Christ above everything else. As we've talked about with our men on, on Thursday mornings, this, this idol of comfort. I, I've worked hard throughout the week and I deserve to just take three naps this Saturday. The idol of comfort, thinking if I just get away, I'll be able to, to recharge and I deserve that. God is not honored that we have stuff. God is not glorified just because we give. God doesn't need your money, and God doesn't need your time, and God doesn't need your resources, yet he calls us to have hearts that are after what he's after, which is making much of his name in all the world. I mean, where did that paycheck come from? God, by his grace, has given you the paycheck. Where, where's that retirement account come from? God, by his grace, has given that to you. Where have those children, uh-oh, yeah, where have those children come from? Not because you're an incredible family planner, but because God, by his grace, has given you that gift, and you're to steward them well. Even as I pray for my children, I, I don't want them just to marry a, a nice young man. I want them to marry a man who loves Jesus above every other thing and gives his life. And then they give their lives to serving him in whatever capacity that they would have. As I prayed last night, the courage to do so. And the moment I said amen, my youngest cried out from her bunk bed, Daddy, what is What is courage? Now, I don't know if she was just trying to delay the inevitable of her falling asleep, but they, we then spent some time talking about what courage looks like for a Christian. When you're after the things that God is after, when your heart is after what he's after, you'll want God to move in your workplace. You'll want God to be at work in your Family, You'll want God to be at work in your children's lives more than them being successful as athletes or in music or in theater or in academics. More than you want that. You'll want them to be courageous Christians in a corrupted world. Yes, we want your students and your kids to be successful athletes. Yes, we want them to be successful academically. But more than that, I want... I want children to be raised to be courageous Christians in our corrupted world. To rise up and say, we'll be willing to go to the nations for the sake of Jesus Christ. Willing to give up everything for the call that he has for us. Willing to take jobs overseas for the sake of his kingdom come. Oh, may we have more 
who are after the heart of God. We had a giving mini campaign this summer. It was called All In, and from Memorial Day to Labor Day, we just encourage you, let's, hey, let's do all that we can to, to meet budget. And can I just share with you, we did. I and mean, we didn't even do a hard push on this. But by God's grace, we exceeded our budget this requirements for this year. Isn't that amazing? I mean, the fact that we didn't even push you, but we just encouraged you. But can I just be really candid? I don't know what people give to this church. I'm sure that in our giving, I, I gave a little bit more than some, but surely less than others. I mean, that's pretty noble, isn't it? I didn't give as much as others, but I gave a little bit more than some. I mean, that's bound to be a reality. But can I just tell you that even in that mini campaign, as we wrote our, our giving and then our above and beyond giving, that it really didn't hurt our bank account. Like, I didn't wake up and go, man, I, I'm not sure how God's going to come through. We made this commitment to the Lord, but, man, it, this is hurting. See, sometimes my giving, even when I think it's going to be sacrificial, it's calculated. I don't want my giving to just be calculated. I want it to be sacrificial. God, may you have it all. It's all yours. It comes back to the heart. I want hearts that are passionate about the kingdom of God, treasuring him above everything else because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then he talks about two eyes. He talks about a bad eye. He says, or he says if your eye is healthy, the, your whole body will be full of light. He, he emphasizes this. Say the, eye, the idea of the, the eye is like a lamp. It, it displays what's going on inside. Proverbs 22 and Proverbs 23 and Proverbs 28. They, there's sections within those different chapters in Proverbs that, that allude to that of being generous versus those who are selfish. But I think the eye having light is, is more than just being generous versus being selfish. I, I think it's about the motive, not just the heart, but the motive as to why you're doing what you're doing. See, when I was a kid, I was baptized at Field of Road Baptist Church. Dr. Tom Lanou was a kind of a uh, North American missionary, and, and he baptized me. And I remember that once I was baptized, I became an official member of the church. That meant I got to sit in on business meetings. That was exciting. And I also got a box every year or every quarter. And the, the, there were envelopes in that box that had my name on them. And they were always a pastel color because apparently pastel envelopes cause you to want to give more. But I had a box and it didn't have an envelope for every other week or once a month. It had an envelope with my name on it and the date on it for every Sunday of that quarter. We could pick them up at the church hallway. We'd grab them and I was so excited because something had my name on it. And that just thrilled my heart as an eight-year-old. And I was dedicated to take my tithe, which was just basically my allowance for my parents. They would give me $10. Whoo, man, I was rocking and rolling with $10. If I'd made my bed every day and done the chores around the house, they would give me that. And I would tithe from that $10. And most weeks, it was just a dollar. Some weeks, if I was feeling really generous, it'd be two. 
But I can tell you with all honesty, while my, my church was doing the best that they could to teach me good stewardship, and I think even my parents were modeling for us good stewardship, that most often my giving wasn't out of a pure heart. It was so that I could be recognized by my Sunday school director, who was also trying to teach us good stewardship, who would say, all of those who have had perfect attendance on Sunday mornings, here's your award, and all those who have given every week, here's your reward as well. The motivation wasn't from a pure heart. Often the motivation was so that I could be presented in front of my friends as one of the top consistent givers. Jesus calls this having a bad eye. He says if your eye is bad, your, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the, even the light within you, I had the light of Jesus in me. Even the light within me could become darkness. And how deep is that darkness? See, when we even do the, the good things, the righteous deeds that he talks about even in verse 1, but we do them so that we can be seen by others, so that we can be seen by others, it creates a, what I would say, a quenching of the Holy Spirit in your life. Jesus talked about this. You, you know that he talked about this because you're good Bible students and you graduated from vacation Bible school. But he said, you have a little light and you're going to put a bushel over it. And what do we sing? We say, no. I'm going to let it shine. Let Satan blow it out. No. We say, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. And let it shine. That's a spoken word, by the way. It wasn't singing. <laughs> Jesus is saying here, even when you have light in you, and you know what you're to do and to do it well, but then you do it for the wrong motives, that light can be dimmed because you're putting a bushel over it. It's quenching of the Holy Spirit. Why does quenching of the Holy Spirit happen? I think quenching of the Holy Spirit happens because we have unrepentant sin. We're not honest when we're confronted with something in the text that the Spirit convicts us in the heart. We just let it, well, everybody does that. Why are you beating yourself up and say, no, no, no. I want to live righteously before the Lord. Because when the eye is, eye is healthy, it will affect those that are around me. And when the eye is bad, it's also going to affect those around me. The darkness, for some of you, has taken over your life. You, the light is in you. You haven't lost your salvation. But the darkness is so clouding your vision. It's, it's like this morning. I'm able to come here before the before the sun is up, and it, it was foggy this morning. In fact, it was so foggy, the inside of my truck, because it's a little dated, was foggy. I mean, I had to roll down all my windows to see what was going on. I was using my windshield wipers, and I couldn't see anything. Don't tell Abby that I drove about a mile without being able to see anything. Some of your life, you, you're, you have the light of Jesus in you. The Holy Spirit has not left you. You've not lost your salvation but it's a little foggy. The, dark, the darkness is setting in. If you have the light of Jesus in your life, you're going to want to glorify Jesus with your life. But if you're stingy with your life, self-gratifying with your life, self-gratifying with your money and your time and your resources, those who have the light will appear actually to be dark. This is why we're going to talk about this just for a moment. It's so important for us in this next season of Rock Hill's ministry and life that we get really aggressive with our debt. 
You say, oh, here he, here he goes again. Yes. Our, our children's ministry and student ministries are growing. We, we're almost to a point where we don't have enough room on Sunday mornings for our youth. Now think about this. If you have, pro- we're running out of room on Sunday mornings. I didn't say Wednesday nights. We're like five kids away on a Sunday morning from saying we're going to have to use multiple rooms. Our children's ministry is growing and our area is growing. And if we aren't aggressive with beating down our debt, we'll come to a place where we need to rise up and prepare and also provide for them. And we won't be able to because we've made obligations that are becoming a millstone around our necks. The sooner we can reduce that debt, it opens up more doors for us to minister, not just here, but also beyond. There are things that our state convention is able to do and get to quicker than we could ever get to. It's why I love cooperating with the SBTC. And if we want our light to shine bright, it requires resources. And what a tragedy of those of us who have the light refuse to be generous so that we can let that light shine. We have two masters. We have two treasures. We have two eyes. And now we have two masters. He says in verse 24 very clearly, he says, no one. That means, guess what? Nobody. You might say, well, I I can't watch me. And Jesus says, no one. No one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot be done. Try as you may. There's one master who is worthy to be worshipped and there's another master who will devour and destroy your life. The two masters are God and the other one is money or wealth. The heart has been, that's been transformed by Jesus through repentance of sin, who acknowledges their sin before the king of kings. He says, I am a sinner. I know that Jesus sacrificed himself for me. And you trust in only the work of Jesus Christ to be your salvation when you receive him as your Lord. Accept him into your heart. Believe that only Jesus can save you. You become a Christian. And when that happens, you surrender your rights. And I think part of our problem is we don't want to submit to anybody. Part of our problem is because we live in America. Somebody else funded our opportunity to come over here, and then we said, we'll do it on our own, thanks. But then part of our problem is that many of us are from Texas, and we fly flags and say, come and take it. We don't just say, I don't want to submit to you. We we provoke and say, come, bring it. And then you got the, the other addition that we're in East Texas. We really don't like anybody to tell us what to do. In fact, here in, here in Texas particularly, if you tell us to do something, we just do the opposite just because you told us to do something. Ouch or amen. But I think our problem is bigger than just being an American or Texan or East Texan. I, I, our problem really goes back to the garden. See, see, most of us are living in the shadow of the first Adam rather than living in the light of the second Adam. We, we were, and we learned that Adam and Eve were told very clearly, you can have of the fruit of any of the trees that I provided for you. Just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
You say, why would somebody not want to know the knowledge of good and evil? Because they were going to go to something else other than God to find purpose and meaning. And because of that one sin, it's now affected all of us. We all have this sin stain on us. And all of us don't like to submit. Because of that original sin, we refuse to submit to anyone else. And because of that, we find ourselves in a problem where where Jesus is calling us to submit all of ourselves to him, and we push back on it because, well, we want to be the masters of our own domain. We want to be in control of our own families. We want to be in control of our own finances. When Jesus says, you can't serve both. We all have time. How many of us have spent hours watching a sport of which we'll never be able to play? We all love our children, but how many of us are allowing our children to dictate what we do as a family rather than dictating to our families what we'll do with our children? Too often we're concerned about our kids saying the right thing or doing the right thing or looking the right way rather than saying, I want to raise up courageous Christians. So often, even as a pastor, I, I worry sometimes about what my children might say that might be a poor reflection on my leadership as a pastor, and they should not live with that kind of burden. May Rock Hill, may Rock Hill be a church that has Jesus in our hearts, Jesus ruling our hearts, and Jesus being the motivation in our hearts. If your heart's not right, When you say you're a Christian, it's likely because you've tried to unsurp Jesus from the throne of your heart. You've tried to be your own master. You've tried to rule and reign your own life. And Jesus says, hey, I'm I'm inviting you just to repent of that. You can't serve two masters. Serve me. Some of you, you, you've never submitted your life to Jesus. You don't even like that word. I can tell you, many of you have been searching for why you don't have peace, the satisfaction, the hope. And Jesus says, come all those who are weary and I'm, I'm going to give you rest. Come and let me show you the better and truer way. If you just come to a place where you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Lord, he says you will be saved. And that light that he puts in you, no matter how much you might even on your own accord try to dampen it out, that light will be in you and it will, in the end, win. So today, today could be a day that you truly repent and give your life to him. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come to you now and Lord, we're asking that you would do a mighty work. God, you would help those in this room that need you, that, Father, those who have not confessed you as Lord and Savior, they would come to a place, even this morning, they would surrender their lives to you. Father, if there are those in this room that they've, they've been allowing darkness to overtake their lives, that, Father, you, you would give them a, a posture of confession and repentance, and may they no longer quench the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.